Welcome to the Pro Rata Podcast, a podcast that takes 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Filling in for Dan Primack, I'm Kim Hart. On today's show, President Trump's plan to remove citizenship to babies born to non-citizens and what to expect when the president visits Pittsburgh later today. But first, global tax proposals take aim at U.S. tech giants. Governments around the world are seriously considering new taxes on the revenues of large tech companies like Google, Facebook, and Amazon that do significant business abroad. The latest such proposal is from the United Kingdom, which plans to introduce a digital services tax in 2020 that would force big American tech firms to pay a 2% tax on British revenue. That follows a 3% revenue tax proposal from the European Commission earlier this year. South Korea, India, Mexico, and Chile are also contemplating similar policies. Let's break this down. There's a global consensus that the current international tax regime is not well-suited for today's digital economy. Today's laws tax the profits of companies in the countries where they are headquartered. But the cross-border nature of the digital economy has left many countries wanting a new tax solution that takes into account the location of the company's users rather than the location of the company's physical presence. Also, U.S. tech companies have perfected the art of moving profits to countries with very low tax rates. That's why countries are proposing taxing revenue instead of profits. It's much harder for a company to move revenue than it is to move profits, and taxing revenue would put a bigger dent in the company's balance sheets. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on this with Jennifer McCloskey, who lobbies on behalf of the tech industry here in Washington. But first, this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique Smart Brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata podcast. Joining us in the studio today is Jennifer McCloskey, Vice President of Market Access Policy for the Information Technology Industry Council, who's been following this issue very closely. These tax proposals have been brewing for several months now, and tech companies have been involved in the conversations happening in Brussels and other capitals around the world. So do you see this as a direct assault on U.S. tech firms and their global dominance? A direct assault? No. I think that that's probably a bit strong, but we do recognize the fact that these policies are directed at tech, at least in large part. And why do you think that is? I think there are several things going on. You recognized in your opening comments that there's been a long-term conversation going on about rewriting the international tax rules for the more modern economy. Tech has participated in that, as well as the U.S. government and countries from all over the world. Emerging from that conversation is a recognition that a lot of folks have concerns about digital issues specifically. So we've been working on that for years now, at most significantly at the OECD level, and we continue to do so. What we've seen is that countries are impatient with that workflow. They might dispute the lack of focus or objectives that maybe that conversation is going after. And so they're moving ahead with their own policies. And we think that that's troubling for a few reasons. So you mentioned the OECD. That's the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. And that's been looking at this issue for a while. It's expected to put out a final report in 2020. What is making that process so slow? Well, I would think it's unfair to say what's making it so slow. It's operating on the timeline that was agreed to. And so we're getting kind of into the weeds of the OECD workflow. But for years, they worked on something called BEPS, which was the Base Erosion and Profit Shifting Project. Various action items came out of that. A lot of that work was incorporated into U.S. tax reform, for example. The digital work was kind of left for further examination, and that's the 2020 deadline. 
as established through the BEPS process to consider these issues. And so we're really still right in the middle of that work at the OECD. So what ITI and other tech companies are pushing for is to say, let's create a multilateral approach to this that doesn't end up with a patchwork of all of these different laws country by country. Absolutely. We have consistently said that the OECD is the best place to have this conversation, and we participate in that dialogue. And we would like to avoid unilateral measures. I mean, having a a tax on revenue versus profit, that's a pretty big deal. And that's a big departure from how companies contemplate corporate taxation, uh, especially in major economies like the United Kingdom and the EU. And so before we move ahead with that kind of policy, let's let the conversation complete itself at the OECD. That's the place to talk about these issues. And we just hope to, to back up that process and that these unilateral measures don't get in the way of progress there. You mentioned that taxing revenue rather than profits is a pretty big deal, especially in these pretty large economies. Now, let's break down what the impact is to Silicon Valley. These are companies, when you're talking about Google, Facebook, Amazon, they have multi-billion dollar revenues and profits. And some would argue that it's not unreasonable for these huge mega companies to be paying a bit more into the countries where they are earning this much revenue off of the consumers there. Tell me a little bit about why it's such a big deal in Silicon Valley and how they perceive this. I don't think that the notion of taxing revenues versus profits is concerning just to Silicon Valley. So I think that we have to acknowledge that organizations like the Chamber put out a letter today, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, a letter today expressing concerns with this policy. And it's because of this radical departure from how U.S. companies are being taxed in jurisdictions around the world. The concern is much broader than just Silicon Valley. I think that I'll acknowledge speaking on behalf of tech companies, these policies seem to be somewhat directed right at us. The language has been pretty clear by the French government, by the other actors within the EU, by just the UK and its announcement yesterday that tech is definitely a key focus of theirs. And so we have to be paying very close attention to it. But the notion that what they're trying to do is just of concern to us, I think, is not entirely accurate. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin has weighed in and warned about the impact of some of these proposals and has been not exactly thrilled with what he calls an unfair sales tax that targets U.S. tech and internet companies. But do you think the U.S. government needs to be more forceful in pushing back on these individual proposals and maybe in its cooperation with the OECD process? Well, the U.S. government has been forceful. I mean, that that statement from the secretary that you referenced is very helpful. That is also reflective of work that Treasury is doing at the OECD and with these different governments, even in, in terms of negotiation of future free trade agreements. These issues are starting to come up because some argue that a tax on digital revenues is a trade barrier of a sort. And so there are lots of areas of the government and of the administration in particular that are having conversations with folks who are contemplating these policies. And we very much appreciate them. And we certainly appreciate when a strong public statement comes out like the secretary's or last week we saw a very strong letter, a bipartisan tax letter, which is not that common these days from the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, Chairman Hatch, and from ranking member Ron Wyden. And so that's reflective of, I think, strong bipartisan concern in the U.S. government about the direction of these policies for some of the reasons that we're talking about. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jennifer. Thank you so much. My final two is coming up next. 
There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two. This week, my colleagues Jonathan Swan and Jim Vandehei interviewed President Trump. Here's what he had to say on the right to citizenship for babies born in the U.S. to unauthorized immigrants. Now they're saying I can do it just with an executive order. Now, how ridiculous. We're the only country in the world where a person comes in, has a baby, and the baby is essentially a citizen of the United States for 85 years with all of those benefits. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And it has to end. The full interview airs on Axios on HBO this Sunday at 6.30 p.m. Why this matters. There's no question Trump is making good on his campaign promise to bring the hammer down on illegal immigration. And this is the most dramatic move yet. An executive order trying to amend the Constitution will certainly create another standoff with the courts. The big question here is how courts will interpret the 14th Amendment, which says all persons born or naturalized in the U.S. are citizens of the U.S. While many legal scholars believe the president doesn't have the power to change birthright citizenship, some conservatives argue that the 14th Amendment was only intended to provide citizenship to children born in the U.S. to lawful permanent residents, not unauthorized immigrants or people on temporary visas. Finally, President Trump and First Lady Melania Trump are visiting Pittsburgh Tuesday, arriving hours after the first funerals are being held for the 11 victims of the massacre at the Tree of Life Synagogue. But his visit isn't being well-received by some who feel his response to the shooting further anti-Semitic sentiment. Republican congressional leaders, including Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and House Speaker Paul Ryan, declined to join the visit. And Pittsburgh's Democratic mayor also declined to appear with the president, as the Washington Post reports. The deep political rifts across the country are playing out in a particularly agonizing way in Pittsburgh. And unfortunately, the healing the city needs will be painfully slow. And we're done. My thanks to producers Adam Gracia and Tim Shovers. As Dan would say, have a great National Candy Corn Day. Dan will be back on the mic tomorrow with another Pro Rata podcast.